when I talk about with people the idea of kind of what's the mission of your life, what's your what's your goal in life? Sometimes we can get caught up on a big picture down the road of what you would like things to look like when you're elderly and have accomplished and your life is over. And that's good to have that picture, right? That compelling kind of portrait in your mind of, of where you'd like to go. But what's even more important is how do you focus every day? How do you order and orient your second by second, your minute by minute, your hour by hour? When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome to the Take and Read podcast. So excited because we have a popular returning guest on the podcast, Parker Smith, uh, back in the podcast studio here. So excited to have you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so we have, uh, it's been a little while since we've been able to touch base. So uh, one of the things I, I love to ask folks is what's going on in your world or not to stack questions, but I will. What specifically in this season has God been teaching you? Well, what is going on in my world? I am engaged. What? Found a woman. Found a woman. And uh, to tell me a little bit about not the woman, but just, yeah, this season. What's it teaching you? What's engagement teaching Parker Smith? What is God using engagement, or how is he using engagement to teach you? Man, um, it has been such a journey of being finding Christ, being completely content in singleness, and getting to that stage where I'm whole and full through Christ and not through any relationship. Was that a, a shift for you? Like in your life, because you're, you're becoming a Christian is relatively new within the last year. Yeah. So prior to Christ, how did a relationship or a girlfriend play into your life? You know, I always tried to find, uh, gratitude and contentment wherever I was. But I just saw a post the other day that said, the world says, love yourself, grab all you can, follow your heart. <laughs> Jesus says, deny yourself, yeah. pick up your cross and follow me. Oof. And that just, it's just so, it's just such a stark contrast that you don't yeah. realize at the time where you're like, I'm a good person and I'm like finding contentment. I'm finding, I'm finding gratitude. Like not that there's bad things in that, but it's like, what are you finding your ultimate contentment, gratitude in? And uh, so I, I guess just that, that transition from that, that stage uh, to the stage of, uh, of, of finding, uh, you know, a woman who has, who has Christ at the center and uh, chasing toward Jesus as fast as you can and then looking to your right and left uh, and, and seeing who's there. And, yes. and, that, and that's sort of what happened to me. And so it's made the whole, it's made the whole process so much easier. Uh, whereas before I would say it's, 
it's just when that's not the center, then you don't really have an end goal in mind. You don't have a destination. So you don't really know where you're going. You're just kind of running left and right. And there's no, there's no end goal in destination that you're heading toward. You're just kind of basing things off of, uh, what the world is telling you that day uh, mm. so you don't have any foundation and so i heard someone say like whenever you go whenever you go to uh you know if you're in a really touristy area we were just at the eiffel tower and there's people along the streets yelling hey come over here come over here just selling little right. Eiffel towers and saying come over here look at this look at this and i heard a pastor say that that's such a good analogy for what the world is doing where yeah. it's hey look at this come over here no you need this this is what you need and then someone to your left is like no you need this you need this trinket and uh, when you wake up in the morning it's like what are my eyes on what am i listening to what am i looking at who am i surrounding myself with and uh, just becoming aware of that so let me ask you this the world so prior to christ you're you're in that flow with the world you're running to the next shiny thing that's somebody's telling you you need uh you're you're trying to to get grab all you can uh but now you're in a different place and now you're not going to find your meaning or fulfillment necessarily in your fiance which it's kind of fun to say she's your fiance and not your girlfriend. That's kind of fun. Uh, but how do you balance that with here's somebody you deeply cherish, a relationship you deeply value, but it's not what defines you? Yeah. Uh, holding it with an open hand Ooh. Uh, is what you and I have talked about a lot. So, you know, you have something that is good and I don't want to mess this up, but someone said the other day that we can take, we take good things and when they become ultimate, they turn into bad things. So they become idols basically. Yeah. yeah. So it's like foundationally is this becoming an idol and, and, and anything can become that, you know, your, your spouse can become that if that becomes ultimate to you. So looking at it and then looking at marriage as a whole, and being like, this is why God made marriage. God made marriage to, to, to show the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church and his people and how he will never leave them or forsake them. Yeah. And so when you look at a husband and a wife and you're like, I have this person and this ability to say, we're gonna make this covenant before our friends, family, and the world and never leave or forsake the other no matter what. Yes. And yes, I love them and I cherish them. And it's a beautiful, amazing thing and we're displaying something even greater. Yeah. It's so cool to get to sit in this position and watch the Lord lovingly and patiently kind of bring you along, as it were. So He is very patient. <laughs> Man. He is. But I remember first time sat down, had lunch with you. We had tacos. It was you, Granger, and I. And I think I was, I was supposed to, it was just going to be Granger, but he just said, Hey, I want, I want you to tag along. I don't know how he invited you, but you were there and I was stoked. So I get to meet you and I remember having a conversation with you cause you were, you were on the market. You were kind of, you were a guy that was looking for a lady, this newfound faith. And you had a list of the requirements. Sweet, secure, social, servient spiritual 
smoking. <laughs> Six <laughs> Very S's. phonetic. I love it. And then maybe like, I don't know, two months later, maybe three months later, we're having tacos again. And the, the topic comes up like, okay, well, how's the, how are the prospects looking? Anybody match up to the list? And you were like, yeah, I think things are a little different now. What was the transition from the list to then? What were you, what were priorities for you as you were considering a relationship? Yeah. Uh, first of all, it was, it, it was a transition of, uh, I need to find this person because that's what we're supposed to do is find somebody and have right. a family. And then that's where you'll find fulfillment is having kids. You're to this age. It's what you're supposed to do. Having, having someone with you is, is better than being alone. And so mm-hmm. it seemed like the next evolution of my life was to find someone. And I set up the criteria for that person and that, you know, that, that was the plan. Whereas it, it, uh, it transitioned from trying to find somebody, uh, because that was the next evolution to being like, th- this is not ultimate finding someone's not ultimate Christ is ultimate. Our time here is an absolute vapor. If we're going to be f- with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and not be married yeah. there, then it's like, what, le- how, how do I fully get some perspective here on the time of my soul and the location that it will be. Mm. And, that's kind of what goes into what you said, what has God been teaching you recently? And it's, it's like, how do I, if we're looking at a scale of my time on earth and my time, you know, for eternity, then what am I focusing on on a daily basis? And then if you, if you, if you really just fully and wholly think about that and, and you just stop putting so much emphasis on this world and what the world tells you to do. Um, and so that, that transition to, uh, being like I'm, I'm content in these circumstances. Christ is ultimately ultimate to me, and a relationship isn't. And then, and then realizing that if I find someone, the single most important thing about them is that they have completely and wholly accepted Christ, mm. are following Him passionately, and are bending that grace outward to those around them because they've completely. Dude, that's ex- a cool ex- picture. Bending that grace outward. Did you just make that up? John Piper did. Okay, that's really good. Uh, good job, Pastor John. <laughs> he talks about uh, that's that's the point is wholly and completely uh, understanding the gospel and then bending that grace outward to those around you. And he says that that's that's what's such a cool opportunity for marriage because yes, anybody can do it, and there's not one that's any more important than another. But pr- uh, something that's profound is within the context of marriage of that's the closest possible relationship that two human beings can have. And if you can extend that grace toward the other at all times, then that's a cool way to display the grace that's been given to you. So, uh, my priority changed to, to finding someone who, who is a radical follower of Jesus. And then if that was in place, then, uh, I'm good to go. Because for you, that was your new priority is becoming a radical follower of Jesus. Right. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. When I talk about with people the idea of kind of what's the mission of your life, what's your what's your goal in life, sometimes we can get caught up on a big picture down the road of what you would like things to look like when you're elderly and have accomplished and your life is over. And that's good to have that picture, right? That compelling kind of portrait in your mind of, of where you'd like to go. But what's even more important is how do you focus every day? 
How do you order and orient your second by second, your minute by minute, your hour by hour? And and so that's what's been so fun to watch is that transformation for you is and how that's now seeping, seeping into every pocket of your life, whether that's the way that you're a brother, whether that's the way you're a boyfriend or fiance, the way that you are a businessman and a leader. Like it's cool to see how that orientation of Christ is my ultimate how that's now seeping into every pocket of your life yeah i've always i've over the in my professional life since graduating college i've always been a a purpose-driven person and you know i love journaling and writing and so every morning i i would write down before i was a christian too i would write down what my purpose in life was and my purpose in life uh, before was to become everything that god created me to be and be present and grateful for every moment which like i I, I was always close. I was mm-hmm. I was there, but it just wasn't specific to Christ and understanding what he did for me and my own depravity and, and, and that grace to the fullest extent. So that sounds good, but whereas now it's 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 transitioned to to make the infinite value of Jesus Christ more known because I've lived than if I had not. So do do me a favor. Go Right now, let's say you had the opportunity to talk to a young Parker Smith two years ago, and he's got that purpose statement kind of written out in his journal, and he's kind of identifying that. Speak to the gap between your what your purpose now is and your purpose then. What was the gap? The gap was before it's, uh, it's built around becoming everything I want to be. Hmm to the glory of God and the glory of God is separate. So your desires are priority. Yeah. It's becoming everything I want to be. Yep. And because that's what God would want was for me to be everything that I could be financially, professionally, physically, right. Uh, you know, relationships. Whereas it's when you, the, the, the gap is, is, I just need to tell everybody about what Jesus did for me because it's all that matters. And he he is the foundation of it. Yeah, because we would say the scriptures indicate that we're to imitate Christ. And part of his message is that we become nothing. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. And so the, it seems like the transition that for people that are, maybe are listening and, and they're going, that first purpose doesn't sound bad. But the difference is when it's all about me becoming what I want to accomplish for the glory of God, it, it's, it's still this kind of, I'm the generator of what I ought to become. And I have expectations of what I want to accomplish. And so it is about me and self-promotion and it's still pride. But that subtle transition of, no, I'm going to make much of him, regardless of how that impacts me, then all of a sudden, there's a humility in that. And what I become or what I look like matters far less in that second scenario. And we're in a, we're in a position to be used mightily by the Lord in that way, which is 
interesting. And I've had I've had people tell me then, you know, if if none of that other stuff matters, then then what's the point? What's the point of working out? What's the point of going to your job? And what's the point of even setting goals? And it's which are that's a good question. It is because it's like if you're just living this this cynical life of to dust I came and to dust I will return, then it's like okay, well then this is all meaningless. But it's just like it's like this pride that comes up, and it's like, well, if it's not for me, then what's the point? Yeah. If I can't get what I want, then what's the point of it? It's entitlement, which is, I mean, it runs rampant in our culture, this entitled view. And it goes back to what you started with, this difference between holding something open-handed versus kind of gripping it tightly. It's a posture of, I've now switched to, I hold my life, my profession, my finances, sometimes even my, you know, my, my safety I hold it with an open hand because I trust the Lord for it and he can do with it what he wants. Yeah, and it's not to say that they don't have any meaning or don't have any value or they can't be used to those. Quite the opposite because right. he's going to have purpose and he's sovereignly in control and is giving you the desires. And of all life. of those things, yeah, take on infinite value at that point. Way more than we could ever ascribe to them, yeah. which is very interesting to think about, man. That's, a, that's intense stuff, but you're an intense guy. So I don't expect anything less. <laughs> Thanks. Apparently I was uh, <laughs> yawning without knowing it. <laughs> yeah, earlier we were hanging out and I was like, man, you look tired. You okay? Well, he just got back from his whirlwind tour of Europe and uh, where the engagement happened Yeah. in Paris, Paris. I mean, huge story. Maybe someday you'll get to tell that in full length. But today I've brought you here for a particular purpose that uh, like we've just been talking about, that we would order and orient ourselves around God's spoken word. So we're going to take and we're going to read. We're going to jump in. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we get to start a new chapter. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. All right. Yeah. So let's open up to chapter 3. We are reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And uh, yeah, a little bit about that. So I, I take different translations. Sometimes it's the NIV, sometimes the NASB, sometimes the NET, sometimes the ESV. If you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know half of what he just said. There are a variety of translations of the Bible. Uh, we have the English translations. There's a variety, but there's also translations in other languages because the original language uh, that the Bible is written in, there's three. There's Hebrew, which is the bulk of the Old Testament. Uh, and then in the New Testament, you have primarily Greek and then some Aramaic, which will show up. Um, and so what we have and what we read from are translations. And there's different philosophies behind how something is translated. And so uh, maybe someday down the road, we'll do a whole episode just on various translations and why I select the ones that I do. Um, but... For now, we're going to read the Bible. Let's do it. And we won't get into translation conversations just yet. So we are in uh, chapter 3, beginning of chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And uh, to kind of catch us up to the context here, again, Mark is the earliest account we have of uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark's 
being used by the Holy Spirit to communicate a certain picture of Christ, uh, that he tells us in the very first verse, you know, that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Christ, the Messiah, and from that point on, we're given an account that's going to basically support that statement and that idea that this is why Mark believes that to be the case. And so there's a very intentional kind of flow to this. Mark tends to be a very action-oriented gospel where things kind of move pretty quickly. You'll see the use of um, the word like, and immediately they went, or immediately they said. And so there's this kind of sense of immediacy and urgency to it, whereas it's, it is the shortest account we have compared to Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, there's content that's in Mark that's also shared by Matthew and Luke, uh, and so there's some some interesting overlap. So you can see something happen in the Gospel of Mark, and you can go and search to see if you find a similar account in Luke and Matthew with other details. Uh, but that's what we have here. And so far, we've seen several times in which Jesus has come up against the kind of established authority structure of the Jews primarily religious leadership in the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, There's been times where he has confronted some of their expectations around Sabbath, fasting, and other kind of religious practices, and he's confronting them in order to disrupt what they assume they mean. And so we're going to potentially see something like that here. Any thoughts before we jump in? You're just ready to go. Okay, let's do it. So here we are, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, he being Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life? Or to kill. But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him, Jesus. All right. So, Our first step, let's ask some questions around what does this say? Are there things mentioned here? Are there things assumed that, man, we need to make sure we fully understand what's being said in this text? Yes. So entering the synagogue, this would have been a place of worship. Yeah. Where they were having a church service of sorts. Yes, of sorts. These were, uh, these were what you, these were Jews. Yeah. So if he's in a synagogue, he's gone into uh, this is yes a Jewish house of worship, a place that they would have gathered on a weekly basis on the Sabbath. They would have gathered to hear reading from one of the Old Testament um, scriptures. So they were, a scroll would have been brought out, uh, a rabbi a Pharisee, somebody, a religious leader would have been um, invited to read a text and possibly teach on it. And that would have been the time that is spent. There would have been prayer, 
involved. So yes, this is a religious, a Jewish religious church gathering, if you will. Um, if that, if it helps to think about it that way. And it's interesting because uh, <clears throat> I was, it says uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, it gives this indication that as Jesus went out, he went out and he would specifically go into the area synagogues and he would be preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. And then he would be healing and casting out demons. We've seen before in Mark that when he goes into a, a synagogue and he begins to teach, they have recognized, wow, he teaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes. So they've already recognized in his teaching, there's a way in which he teaches that is different. It, it has power. It has potency. There's something to his teaching that's different than the other teaching we're used to. But there's always an interesting component where he couples with, okay, he goes around teaching about the kingdom of God, and then he demonstrates the kingdom of God. That's some of the things that you see. He, he talks about and he preaches and teaches the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. But then it's always coupled with a demonstration of what that kingdom is like. It's power, it's authority. So there are times where he comes in and he's, he's casting out demons. So he's demonstrating authority over the spiritual realm. Sometimes he's healing. And so he's demonstrating his authority and his power over the physical realm. And so his teaching is demonstrating not only his understanding of this kingdom, but then his physical activity, his healing is going to be demonstrating that authority as well. So I think that that's something about the context here. Yeah. And they would have been in here studying what we have here in the Old Testament. Right. Correct. Yeah. They would have read from whether it's Isaiah, the prophet or from the Torah. So the law, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they would be teaching and reading something of the old Testament. And then there would be some sort of kind of explanation of that. Uh, so yeah, some other components that help us understand the nature of who's gathered They're in a synagogue. So that would have been Jewish mm-hmm. on the Sabbath and it wasn't uncommon for if a rabbi was in town that was from some other place, it's not uncommon to invite them to come and teach or to read the scriptures and then share some teaching with them. That's not an uncommon practice. And so the fact that he's there and he's coming in, but clearly there's some sort of reputation, right? He's, he's at a point in his ministry where we've seen previously in this gospel, just in the first two chapters, He's gaining a lot of popularity. There's a lot of notoriety about who he is, uh, what he's come to do, what he's capable of doing. And so here you have this scene where he kind of enters in and they also see this man who was there with a withered hand. Now this could be somebody who's like, that's Joe, he's always here. He's always had that issue with his hand. And so they know, okay, he's here, Jesus is here, and they're kind of watching when they, they're like, okay, what's going to happen? And in like an accusatory way, not yeah. genuinely watching, but watching specifically yes. to see whether they would, so that they could accuse him. So they might accuse him if he yeah, did. Yeah, they're looking for him to mess up so they have something on him. They want dirt. And so that demonstrates something of their heart, right? They don't want him to be the Messiah, which is interesting. Yeah. 
They don't want him to be the guy. So it's, and you're like, well, why? And he notices their hardness of heart. He's angry and he's frustrated with how hard their hearts are about the kingdom, but specifically about him. Um, so yeah, they're waiting and watching because they, it says, so that they might accuse him. And so he knows, he clearly can perceive what, what the scene is. So he's like, hey, hey, Joe. That's not in the text, just so you know. I just made that name up. Hey, come here. And then he confronts them. He's got Joe here. Okay, Joe. He talks to them. Is it lawful for us to, uh, on the Sabbath, on this day, this day of rest that God instituted, which he's already addressed before. He's like, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, we don't exist in order to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath exists for us as a blessing, as a day of rest for us. But it had turned, obviously, to where people were burdened by, you know, having to kind of submit to this Sabbath and what it meant at that time. So it had been, it had kind of developed into something of its own. So yeah, are, yeah he says, is it lawful? So he's just immediately going to be like, I'm going to just like, address this right now yeah because I, I can tell that you're already thinking that this is not lawful and this this kind of the fundamentals of what jesus came to to uh talk about was you guys are this is not the purpose of the law you're taking the law to a level that it wasn't meant to be right i, I was just reading today in in uh romans about how the law is not there for us to become righteous in god's sight Rather, the law exists for us to be conscious of our sin. Yeah, to reveal sin. Right. To show us how far we fall from the mark. Absolutely. That's great insight. So, yeah, he's going to call him out. He's going to ask the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Save life or kill life or kill. And they were silent. They didn't respond. Because he asked the, you know, the brilliant question. He knows that it's going to kind of reveal their hearts. And so he looks around, no one gives an answer. He's, he's angry. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. What does it mean to be grieved? I think there's a sense of just deep sadness and there's probably a mixture of just frustration, but just deep disappointment. Mm. Just, like he wants them to get it. He's not just angry. Yeah, he's not them. just like Yeah, he's not just angry. That's a good point, but there's there's something else here. There's there's a deep disappointment. Mm. And I don't know if as a kid, was it when I got in trouble, I would rather my parent be angry when I did something, but if they were like, "Man, they didn't bring down the thunder and they were just like, you know what? I'm just really disappointed in you. It's like, oh, that, <laughs> to me, that was worse, right? I remember when I was in high school and I threw a party when my parents were out of town and I remember my dad came back and he was never one to, he didn't need to exert his authority through, you know, yelling, but it was, just, he just had an authority of his presence and he, I remember he just had a single tear of just so genuinely disappointed that he couldn't believe that I would do that. Mm. 
and I and I always remember feeling just like what you said of just this that was so much more profound for a son mm-hmm. to just have this disappointment from a father than any yelling could ever could ever um, get the point across. Yeah. And I, and I want to be careful, I think, in this context to, we don't want to be quick to jump to that, I don't know, disposition, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. here, here, he recognizes he's grieved, not necessarily by their activity, but what their activity represents about their heart, right? That they, that they would be in a place where they're so wanting to just catch him and accuse him and to find fault in him that that reveals something of their heart and he's grieved at their hardness of heart. He's anger. He's angry with them probably by the scenario, but then he's grieved by what that reveals about their heart. And he went on to say, you know, he didn't just stop there, but he's like, okay, stretch out your hand. And he, he answers his own question, right? Life, life is of more value than whatever religious rule we've set out here so he restores he restores the man's hand uh and the pharisees went out and immediately right there's that action they immediately held counsel with the herodians against him and how to destroy him Uh, so you've got some some players here so they're in a jewish synagogue pharisees are religious leaders of the time in these synagogues and yet they go out and they're going to now go into collaboration with this group called the Herodians. So to understand that you've, we're going to throughout the gospel, we're going to hear tell of a guy named Herod. And so the Herodians would have been the political party that supported or a group of, of uh, Jews that were in support of the political leadership of the Herods. So there's a line of Herods that were, essentially Roman appointed governors of, of an area. And so here is a political party there. And they're in support of that leadership. And the interesting thing here is the Pharisees would have been loyal to the Jewish concern. Herodians though worked in partnership with Rome. So although Jewish, they were also in cahoots with Roman authority and leadership. And so there's this sense of, it just shows the disparity, or I, maybe not the disparity, but the the level to which the Pharisees are now going to go to get rid of this guy. They're going to now start to partner with this group, the Herodians, and they're because now they're really starting to get desperate. They've got to deal with this Jesus issue, and uh, and we had uh, last episode we had Ivan, who's a pastor and uh, seminary leader in Ukraine. And one of the things that he pointed out was there's this sense in Mark that we see Jesus is intentionally trying to provoke the leadership. Like he's intentionally not picking a fight, but he's intentionally stirring the pot to, to cause some, some disruption. And so we see that again here that he's intentionally like he could have just seen this guy with the withered hand gone about his business but he looks, he, he sees the people, sees the guy, and he's like, all right, let's do this. Hey, guy, come here. What do you guys think? Is it lawful right now today to heal him or, or to, to cause life or to kill? Nobody? Okay. Hey, hey, guy, come here. 
be healed. You're good to go. And they're like, that's it. We got what we needed. Like <laughs> they don't even see what's, what's playing like that. He intentionally did all that. I don't, maybe, I don't know. Do you think he was, do you think the point of this is doing this more to show his uh, authority given to him by, by the father to physically heal people and to show his status as the Messiah and the prophecy coming to save man from their sins? Or is it uh, to prove a point of you guys are idolizing the law and you're missing the whole point? Is it a combination of those things? Yeah. Or, or is it to stir the pot so that for his ultimate purpose of, of getting arrested? Yeah, I think I think the safe answer is yes. Right. Um, I think all of those are at play. When we stand back and look at kind of what's played out in the gospel of Mark so far, you kind of start looking at mm. chapter two and he's healing a guy and then he gets into later part and he's confronted about fasting, why his disciples don't fast, but the fat, you know, the, the uh, disciples of the, the Pharisees and John the Baptist, they're fasting. So why aren't you? So the, he's starting to be confronted about some of the, the kind of established norms of the religious system. And so he's beginning to con- intentionally clearly confront that. So then we get the series of, Okay, at the end of chapter two is, you know, he's talking about the Sabbath. And then it says here, again, he entered the synagogue. So previously there was this episode where on the Sabbath, he's doing something that's contrary to what's allowed on the Sabbath. And here again, he's in a synagogue on the Sabbath. He's confronting the, the normative practices. And so this is a repeated thing that's not only one showing, demonstrating his He's confronting their understanding of the Sabbath. So he's intentionally confronting what they believe and understand in order to give them new understanding and meeting about the Sabbath and what God's up to. I think it's also demonstrating his authority that yes, he preaches the kingdom and then he demonstrates the kingdom and his power and authority as the king of this kingdom. But it's also necessarily he's, he's provoking He's provoking those that are this a religious established power. And because in order for a kingdom to come in, it has to dethrone the other kings. He's got to, I mean, that's to overthrow an existing power. You've got to demonstrate your, your own authority. And in so doing that overthrows, right? So, if in this life, because of our fall, sin and death reign, and um, death through sin reigns, well, Christ comes in and overthrows the rule and reign of sin and death by conquering sin and death and rising from the dead. There's also a sense in which religious authorities are, there's, he's got to, he's got to affect and dismantle the the religiosity of of what people are doing and what they've done to the worship of God. I think I don't know if that makes sense. That started to get really I don't know out there, but no, it makes sense. It's the it's the purpose of what he's doing in this yeah. story of uh, uh, the religion that man continues to distort. 
And I think your question is is the right question, right? It's it's the question we ask. If we understand what's being said here, we have to step back and go, okay, if we were to just kind of summarize what does this mean? If I see what it says, then what does this mean? How would you summarize, based on what we've conversed about, what's what's he getting at? What's this mean for us? Yeah, I think kind of what you said of, uh, you know, Jesus has the uh, authority and ability to physically heal. We see him, we see him purposely uh, challenging the leadership of the time to uh, show why he was there and to uh, also illustrate to us the these vessels of of hardness, mm-hmm. these vessels of wrath of guys who they just don't get it and they just want to destroy him rather than understanding the good that he was trying to show. So uh, his uh, authority and then also uh, the purpose of the law and Mm -hmm. of the Sabbath. And it's like, look, we're, it's like you said of, you know, Sabbath being made for man, not the other way around. So, yeah. So to, in one sense, I think that kind of the takeaway, if that's what it means, right? It references his authority. It references the purpose and meaning of the law. And I also think there's something to be said about having a hardened heart towards what God is demonstrating in your life, who he is, what his heart is, what he's capable of, like the warning against hardening my heart about that kind of stuff and so my takeaway is okay his authority are there that i need to allow jesus to come and wreck shop on maybe areas of my life that i haven't given him full authority over or maybe i'm just content with my own way of doing things or i've even established religious practices where this is now going to make me in good standing with God because I do these good religious things and, and to not forget what those are for, right? Reading my Bible is a good thing to do, but reading my Bible every day doesn't make God love me more. Mm. I can't forget the reason why I do that. It's because he wants relationship. And he's designed me for relationship with him. Christ has enabled that relationship to happen. So reading my Bible means I get God. I get more of him. I get to be with him. I get to hear his heart. He speaks to me and I get to converse back with him through prayer. Don't misunderstand what reading my Bible is about. Don't misunderstand what gathering on Sunday morning in corporate worship with a body of believers as the church. Like that's, that's not for me to check the box to say I'm a good Christian. I'm a good religious guy. No, the point of that is to gather with the body, to draw close to God, to worship the one who gives life. So I think there's a warning here for me as a believer. Be careful the way that I've misappropriated certain activities in my walk with the Lord and to see them for what they're supposed to be is ways to draw close to him, to follow him, to be faithful to in relationship with him and to give life to other people, which is what he does here. Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic of 
our minds just so badly want to, I, I heard a guy call it Christian Buddhism, mm. which is a, a very popular, uh, it's a very popular um, idea of this give and take. And if we give, and it's just like human minds just want so badly to, I do this and you give right, me Right, we that. want a transaction that's we clean. Have, yeah, and because and we deserve it and we do it and we deserve this back. Mm. And it's just so anti-human to say, there is nothing that you can do wow. to earn that salvation, to earn that grace. It doesn't matter. You, it's the the prisoner being crucified next to Jesus on the cross at the end of his days. He is just as worthy of salvation as someone who's Amen. who has uh, been saved from the age of five and lived an entire missionary life dedicated to him. And it's such a hard pill for us to swallow because we're like, <laughs> it's so then true. why am I working so why am I working so hard and doing all this stuff if that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to have, you know, a more prosperous life. And, you know, it's a dynamic of that with, well, those fruits of the spirit will give you, you know, yeah. joy and fulfillment and the peace of God. And so that that is your reward, but there's not like a, a reward system for your works. And uh, we're so we're so susceptible to falling into that, to becoming those Pharisees at all times of, of, of worshiping the law over the whole point and mm -hmm. which is, you know, his grace and what he did for us is the whole point. Yeah. So the, I guess the takeaway here for me and what you've articulated is we need to constantly be on guard about the, the, the lean towards Pharisee, the lean towards taking the good kind of things that God has given us in order to commune and relate with him and setting up rules and standards and, and a transaction between God and us using these things, these good and great gifts he's given us. So that's how, a good How word. ironic that he sets it up and the purpose is to worship him and then we screw it up. Yeah. Like that's what these Pharisees were doing. It was, the whole point was they were godly. That was, yes. they were the closest ones to God, so to speak. They were the most holy. They knew him better than anyone, so they thought, but they were missing the point. Yep. That's a sober warning today, my friend. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Parker. I love having you on this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have questions either for myself or Parker, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave comments uh, in whatever way that you take in this podcast, whether that's through YouTube or Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple or whatever your platform is. Uh, leave comments, questions, uh, engage with us. Uh, we love that. If you're hearing this and you you want to respond in some way, shape, or form to maybe what God's doing in your own life and you don't want others to know about it, you can always email me. Um, I'm happy to be an encouragement and uh, love to answer any questions you might have. Thank you again uh, to 22 Beans. Uh, they are they they fill my cup here uh, with coffee. And in the morning when I take and read the scriptures, and I encourage you, 22beans.com, go find. We're developing a take and read blend of coffee awesome. that I'm very excited about. And uh, so news to come on that. And uh, there's hats available there if you want to support the podcast or um, you're, you're a hat guy. Um, I have a good balance between yee hats and then my take and read hat. I just saw the unreleased hats 
in development and I'm excited. Yeah, we have some new hats coming yeah. of Take and Read podcast. So um, soon you'll see uh, Parker sporting his new Take and Read hat around town. If you ever see Parker around town, I don't know if you're around town <laughs> at all. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And again, uh, make sure you take time to take and read the Bible. Thank you. Thank you.